Well, today uh, we're going to wrap up our series that we started three weeks ago entitled Transformed. Uh, and we have been talking about, if we look at that first point on our outline, uh, we've been talking about the fact that we need more than resolutions, right? That's kind of been our declaration statement as we went into this, that we need more than a resolution. We need transformation. The word metamorphosize, God wants to transform us, take us from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Literally, God wants to transform us into a new creation. And we talked about how that it's not the heart of God or even the will of God to clean us up, right? God doesn't want to clean you up. A pig in a prom dress is still a pig. Come on, somebody. Y'all still with me, right? A monkey on a mountain, still a monkey, right? The reality is God's not interested in cleaning you up. God wants to transform me and you into brand new creations. He wants us to be what we have never been, and that is to be born again in the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, Jesus made that statement to Nicodemus. He said, don't marvel that I would say to you, you must be born again, right? And if you've never been born again, then you're never going to see the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Jesus said, and you'll never even enter into the kingdom of God because the only way to be a Christian is you have to be born one, right? You have to be born again to become a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is a spiritual birth that can happen at any age in your life, but it only happens when we come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ and trust him as our Lord and our Savior. And so we recognize also that the best version, right, the best version of our lives is Jesus in us. God does not want to squash out your personality and uniqueness. As a matter of fact, God wants to work through that. God created you in his image and his likeness. He made you unique. He made you special. He gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you abilities. And the fullest version of your life is when all of those things are submitted to Christ Jesus and the life that you live now reflects the glory of who God is so that God actually reveals himself uniquely through you so that other people see him. Come on. Is that good with everybody this morning? Y'all with me? Y'all awake today? Come on. Let me hear you out there. Give a little shout or something. Let me know you're alive. Amen. Y'all need to wake up this morning. It's a happy day. Amen. How many glad to be alive this morning? Amen. I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord. Well, let's look at that next point. So let's talk about this. We said that we're transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus through the revelation of Christ, the renewing of our minds, and the crucifixion of our flesh. So three weeks ago, we talked about how that everything begins with that revelation of Christ. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. And we recognize that uh, salvation is not an intellectual decision. It is a spiritual decision that comes to the revelation of Christ. And once I recognize who he is, that revelation, God reveals himself to me. And what's awesome about that revelation, revelation comes not as the result, hear me, not as the result of just going to church or reading your Bible. Because sometimes people say, well, well, how is God going to rightly or justly judge people on the other side of the world in the third world country that lived in the back of a jungle and there's never been to church and they've never read a Bible? How are they going to stand before God and is God going to judge them? Well, Romans chapter 1 tells us that the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God so that all the world is without excuse because God reveals himself even through creation. 
So in America, praise God, we get to come to church and we get to read a Bible, and God reveals himself through the church many times and through the Bible. But guess what? If you're in a place that doesn't have a church and doesn't have a Bible, God will reveal himself through a monkey, through a squirrel, through a tree, through the sun, through the moon, through the stars. Why? Because salvation is not an intellectual decision that comes from reading a scripture. Salvation is a revelation that comes from God in heaven, creator of all earth, revealing himself to me and you because he loves you, sent his son to die on the cross for you so you could be saved. And God is faithful to do that to every person in every place on the planet because he loves them, right? God so loved the world, not just America, not just people that have a church and a Bible. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. And God himself reveals himself to the world so that people are without excuse. The guy in the jungle that's never been to church and never read a Bible, something happens in his life where he comes to a place of revelation where he knows there is a God. And he also knows he should serve him. Because God does that. Amen? God does that. So salvation begins with that revelation. But then we recognize that that transformation process continues to happen through that same revelation. The more we see him. Right? Because once we get born again, and praise God, we're in America, we do have churches and Bibles, we get to go to church, we get to read our Bible, we get to read books, we get to look at articles, we get to watch YouTube videos. We got all this access to all these crazy things out here that are telling us the good news of the gospel. And every time I get a new revelation of who he is, I am then given an opportunity to be transformed into that image and likeness of him. Because the more clearly I see him, the more I begin to reflect him and become more and more like him. But we also recognize that that revelation brings us to that second part of transformation, which is repentance and renewal. Because once I get that revelation of the knowledge of the truth, now I have to make a decision. Right now I have to choose this day who I'm going to serve. Am I going to repent, which means to change the way I think and agree with God, or am I going to continue to rebel and do the things I want to do? And we made this statement last week, and we know this to be true. If you're here today and you're a Christian, then you know if you've been born again, every wrong decision you've ever made as a born-again Christian 99.9% of the time, you knew it was wrong when you made it. Now, you might have suppressed it. You might have suppressed that truth. You might have suppressed that revelation because it wasn't what you wanted to do, but you knew it was the right thing to do. See, see, that's, I love, I heard somebody say years ago that, that, that something happens when you really get born again. When you get born again, all of a sudden you can really no longer enjoy sin like you could before you were born again. See, before you were born again, you could do all kind of horrible things and feel good about it. Once you get born again, you can't feel good about it anymore, at least not for long term. It might feel good in the moment, but tomorrow you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. What a wonderful gift God's given us. What a wonderful gift. You know why? Because you're not who you used to be. You've been transformed. You've been born again. You're not a caterpillar. You're a butterfly. And you have been transformed into a new creation. So when I get a revelation, now I've got to repent. I've got to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to repent? Am I going to change the way I think? Am I going to agree with God? 
Because if I change the way I think and I agree with God, transformation comes. Romans 12, 2, y'all remember it? We read it last week. Do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. NLT says, let God change you into a brand new person by changing the way you think. And so all of a sudden, we are transformed into this new creation because something changes on the inside. And then this week, what we're going to talk about, look at that next point. We're going to talk about how that this week, we are transformed in the image and likeness of God through the crucifixion of our flesh. This is kind of the crown jewel of this transformation process because this is where what God has done spiritually now becomes manifested physically in your life. And let me just say this to you today, how critical that is. For you to experience the fullness of the glory that God has for you, there has to be a physical manifestation of spiritual transformation in your life. It's one thing to have a new heart, but if you don't ever get a new life, you're still going to get crappy things. It's good to have a new heart, but if you don't ever get a new life, you're going to continue to reap the same old harvest you've been reaping because the fruit of your words and the fruit of your actions are going to continue to produce a harvest in your life. And so what we're going to see today through this process of crucifying our flesh is that we're going to come to a place where the revelation of Christ, the repentance and renewal of our mind, is now going to come to full circle and manifest a manifest in our lives so that we are now transformed physically, visibly, verbally, into the person that God is calling us and has created us to be. So let's look at some great scripture today. So today as we kind of dive into this, we're going to recognize that there are some things in our lives that need to die. How many of you realize that? There are some things in your life that need to die. <laughs> there are some things in your flesh. I'm going to read you a scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It's not on the screen, but if you want to look it up or write it down, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, excuse me, says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, those things need to die in us. And as long as you have flesh, you're going to have the lust of the flesh, you're going to have the lust of the eye, and you're going to have to battle against the pride of life. So those things have to die. They have to be crucified. They have to be subjected to who Christ is calling us to be. Now, I heard a guy explain those three things. He put a little definition on it that I thought was amazing. He said, the lust of the flesh is the desire to indulge. To indulge. We just want to indulge our flesh. Think about it. If you're fasting right now, we just want to indulge our flesh. One more piece of pie. One more piece of pizza. One more piece. One, one more, right? We just love to feed our flesh. We indulge our flesh, and we just love feeding it. And one of the greatest revelations I've ever got in my life is simply this. Just because I want to don't mean I have to. Just because I want to eat it doesn't mean I have to eat it. Just because I want to say that doesn't mean I have to say that. Just because I want to respond that way does not mean I have to respond that way. Just because I have a desire to say something, do something, and act a certain way does not mean I have to give in to that desire. And so the lust of the flesh is that desire to indulge the flesh. And not only do we feed it physically, we feed it carnally, we feed it sexually, we feed it immorally, we feed it all kind of ways, right? We indulge our flesh. If we want it, we want to bring it into our lives. And so those things have to be put to death. And then there's the lust of the eye. And that's the desire to obtain or to have, right? We just see something and we want it, right? We, we, we just came through Christmas, and all of our kids got really, really blessed Christmas Day. 
And the day after Christmas, they wanted something new. You know why? Because we got this thing called the lust of the eye. That there is a carnal, physical desire that is never satisfied. We want more. And then the last, the pride of life. Well, let me just pause for a second. There's nothing wrong with more. God, God is really excited about giving you more. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to give you an abundance. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. But, but let me just give you a revelation here. The revelation, if you remember the story of Jesus told about the rich man, the Bible says Jesus said there was a rich man whose barns were filled with plenty, and all of a sudden the harvest came in, and he had more harvest than he had barn room. And he said, what am I going to do with all this extra harvest? I don't have enough barns to put it in. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns. And Jesus said, thou fool, today your soul will be required of you, and then whose wealth will that be that you've left behind? See, there's nothing wrong with filled barns. God wants to fill your barns, and God wants to give you more than your barns can contain, but God doesn't want to give you more than your barns can contain just so you can keep building bigger barns. God wants to give you more than your barns can contain so you can bless and prosper other people. God wants to bless you with exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine so you can be a blessing. God is not opposed to you having full barns. So that might mean we ought to build real big ones when we start. Amen? Come on. God's not opposed to you having big barns, but God is opposed to the idea that you allow the lust of your flesh to think that the prosperity and blessing of heaven is given to you just to fill your barns and not to be a blessing to those that are around you because God wants to bless you so he can prosper you and use you to be a blessing to other people. The last one is the lust of the hour, the, the pride of life. And he said, this is, this is a desire. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. He said, this is a desire to impress. And when I read that, the Holy Spirit said, he said, Keith, do you realize that most of us as people, we want people to think that we are more than we really are. We want to impress people. And we want to come to church, and when we're at church, we want people to think we're probably a little more spiritual than we really are. And then we go to work, and we want people to think we're a little more successful than we really are. And we just want to impress people. And there's that pride of life. And there's nothing wrong with doing your best. There's nothing wrong with excellence. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. All those things we just talked about. But here's the reality. If you live to impress people, you will not honor God. And if you don't believe me that there's a pride of life that wants to impress people, just look at our social media posts. Right? We've always got the perfect family and the perfect picture and the perfect smile and the perfect meal and the perfect abs and the perfect everything. Nobody posts the picture five minutes before the picture of the family where everybody's screaming and yelling. Here's my family, choking each other. <laughs> if we put real pictures on our Christmas postcards, it would be great next year. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just a thought. Man, it would bring a whole new excitement. I mean, we'd really look at those cards, wouldn't we? Look at there. He's choking her. That's awesome. <laughs> we'd all feel so good about our own families, <laughs> wouldn't we? So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the pride of life, those things have got to die. So we're going to see that today. So look with me in Galatians 2.20. 
Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. That's a key phrase. I live by faith. Why? Because faith agrees with God. I live by faith. Everything you receive from God and everything you give to God has to come and go by faith. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually actually says anything that is not done in faith is sin. That's a pretty bold statement. Why? Because faith is the only way to please God. And so I live by faith when I agree with God. And when I begin to agree with God and live my life in agreements with how God wants me to live my life, that's faith. And faith pleases God. So Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ and I don't live, but yet Christ lives in me. But the life that I do live now, still in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul recognized that the best version of his life was Christ in him. And he said, I'm going to live my life still in the flesh, but I'm going to live it for the glory of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now Romans chapter 6, Paul gives us an exhortion from Scripture that is so insightful into this crucified life. So we're going to read it together. Romans 6, starting in verse 6. And if you back up a couple verses, it's the scriptures that we read every month when we do a baptism here at Liberty Church. It talks about the fact that we are baptized unto Jesus' death, that we might be raised to life. And then he elaborates on that. He says, For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Here's a revelation we need to get. When you got born again, before you were born again, the Bible says, Ephesians 2, that you were dead in your sins, you were separated from God, and you were without hope. That was the accurate condition of your life. Before Christ, you were dead in your sins, separated from God, and without hope. But when you came to Christ, right, when you came to Christ, you were born again into the image and likeness of God. You were spiritually born again. You were raised to life, and you became a new creation you had never been before. And all of a sudden, you went from being separated to being connected. You went from being without hope to now having a living hope that calls, that's called Christ in us. And so when you got born again, you died to your old nature. And you became a brand new person on the inside. Everybody else didn't see it. You didn't look any different in the mirror, right? But you became a brand new person on the inside. Your heart was forever change. So look what he says. He says, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power. Now that's a little phrase we're going to talk about. The word power here in Romans 6 refers to not power and the ability of strength, but it talks about authority. So that sin might lose its power or its authority in our lives. Sin still has power because the wages of sin is death, but it no longer has authority over the believer's life. Sin no longer has authority over your life. It no longer has a right to rule in your life. Look what he says. For we are no longer slaves to sin. My prayer for today is God let us get that one revelation right there. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin has lost its authority over our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now think about it like this. I want you to just wrap our minds around this together. You're a new creation in Christ. And you can sin as a Christian. And you can waller in sin as a Christian. And you can allow sin 
to destroy your physical health, your relationships, your finances, and even to some degree your spiritual vitality in Christ. But you're not a slave to sin. You can allow sin to do those things, but you're not a slave to sin. You can allow unrighteousness, but you're not a slave to sin. Anything in your life right now that does not reflect the nature and character of God is something in your life that you have allowed if you're born again. Sin no longer has authority over you. Y'all still with me? So look at the next verse. For when, he, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power. There it is, the authority of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. And we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also, so you also should consider yourselves to be what? To the power of sin and what? Alive to God through Christ Jesus. Sin has no power over our lives. So Paul says you should consider. Here we go. Let's go back to our thought life. You should consider yourself dead to sin. What would happen if you begin to consider yourself dead to sin? What would happen if that thing that has tripped you, that thing that has trapped you, that thing that has held you, that thing that has bound you, that thing that has destroyed you, what would happen if you really begin to look at that thing and recognize it no longer has authority over your life and you are dead to the power and authority of sin and you have been made alive in Christ Jesus? What would happen if you begin to recognize you're dead to addiction? What would happen if you begin to recognize that you're dead to lust and perversion? What would happen? if you begin to recognize that you're dead to bitterness and resentment and calloused hearts and cold bitterness toward other people? What would happen if you really begin to consider yourself dead to sin? Because it's only when you repent and change the way you think that you become a new person. So Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin. Look at verse 12. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Remember, sin is a thought, right? We repent. We have to change the way we think. Sin is not the, quote, action of sin. So you can repent of the action, but if you don't repent of the thought, you'll continue to repeat the action. If you don't change the way you think. See, the problem, the problem is not, the problem is not that you that you still get high. The problem is that you think it's still okay to get high. The problem is not that you're looking at pornography. The problem is that you think it's okay to look at pornography. The problem is not that you're hateful and mean and ugly to a bunch of people. The problem is, is that you've justified bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart toward those people. See, that's the problem. And here's what we're going to see today. We're going to recognize that as long as you justify sinful thought, you'll never crucify sinful action. As long as you justify sinful thought, you'll never crucify sinful action. Because the power to crucify your flesh is not wrapped up in your ability as a human. It is wrapped up in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. 
Let's read a couple more scriptures here. Let's just read on. Look at verse 13. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body, all this thing right here, as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you'll what? But if by the what? By the Spirit, you put to what? The deeds of the body you live. By the Spirit. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit. So look at that next point on your outline. So let's talk about this threefold process of transformation. Number one, the revelation, right? There has to be a revelation of who Christ is. That is the standard. It's the revelation of Jesus. That is the standard of what we're supposed to be. And then there's repentance and renewal, right? I have to repent. I have to change the way I think. And I want to say it again, as long as you justify in your mind why you're doing the actions you're doing, you'll never change your actions. You'll never crucify your flesh as long as you justify the thoughts. As long as you justify sleeping together when you're not married, you'll keep sleeping together. As long as you justify robbing God by not tithing, you'll continue to rob God. As long as you justify your hurtful actions toward other people because you have a thought up here that it's okay to hold unforgiveness in your heart toward them because of what they did was so really, 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 really bad. So I'm justified to hate them because what they did was really, really bad. As long as you justify that in your mind, you'll never find freedom. You'll never crucify your flesh. We have to repent. We have to agree with God. We have to agree with God. We have to change the way we think. And as we do that, this is what happens. Look at that last part. Once we do that, we then crucify our flesh in light of the revelation we have received. So what has to happen is, is once I get a revelation and then I repent, now Romans 12, 2 says God transforms me or changes me into a new person by changing the way I think. The moment I repent, there is now supernatural power and grace to crucify my flesh. Because we just read it in Romans 8. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. How am I going to crucify the flesh? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How am I going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? I've got to repent and renew my mind and get in agreement with God. And until I do that, to the degree that you repent and renew is also the degree that you are empowered to crucify your flesh. And here's the great thing. We've all done this. Think about it. Think about your life for a minute. You've had things in your life that you struggle with and you struggle with and you struggle with and you struggle with and you struggle with. But all of a sudden, one day, right, one day, it changed. I mean, really, think about it. You struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. But one day, it changed. And it changed in a moment. And what really happened in that moment is you really repented. You really changed your mind. You really got in agreement with God. And the moment that happened, Holy Ghost power filled you. And you knew. You knew from that moment on, you'd never do that again. You knew it. And what's crazy is we can look back on those things, and I love hearing these testimonies of people that struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle, and they finally get free, and then they make statements like this. Man, it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And if it's a lot harder than you thought it was going to be, that's because you haven't yet repented. And you're trying to crucify your flesh by the power of your flesh. You're using willpower instead of God's power to conquer the power of your flesh. 
And what will happen is you'll only have temporary victory, never lasting victory. But aren't you glad we can look around this room and we got people who have been set free for a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 5 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years that are still walking in the freedom and grace of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that the testimony of God is that when he saves you and he changes you and he transforms you, you never have to go back to being who you used to be? Isn't that amazing? What glorious good news. But as long as you justify your actions in your mind, you will continue to do those actions in your life. The only way to crucify the flesh is to change your mind because then and only then does the power of God come for you to bring your body into subjection. Colossians 3, I'm going to let you go home and read it. Amen? Good stuff. Look at that last point. Crucifixion not only brings transformation, but it is the secret to multiplication and reproduction. Crucifixion not only brings transformation, but it is the secret to multiplication and reproduction. John chapter 12, Jesus said this. Jesus said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. For he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And anyone who serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Jesus said, verse 24, lest a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. The secret, here it is. Crucifixion not only brings transformation, but it also brings multiplication and reproduction in the hearts and lives of other people. I got my bag here of popcorn kernels. Let me tell you what I know about these popcorn kernels. Say I got 50 in here. I didn't count them, but I don't know. Maybe I got 50. If I gave everybody in this room a popcorn kernel, you'd have a choice to make what you'd do with it. Right? You could put it in your pocket, forget about it, and leave it there. You could set it in your dresser. You could put it in a drawer. You could frame it and hang it on the wall. You could pop it in your mouth, swallow it, and eat it. You could chew on it. You could throw it at somebody. That's why I didn't pass them out, because I knew Chris in the back would do that. So You could stick it in the microwave, maybe, and pop that one kernel and go home and, I mean, enjoy a whole wonderful kernel of popcorn. But this is what I know. Unless you plant it, you can do anything you want to do with it. And unless you plan it, in five years, you'll just have one kernel. In 50 years, you'll just have one kernel. In 500 years, you'll just have one kernel. Unless you plan it, it'll remain alone. If I got 50 seeds here and I just leave this bag, I take it home and set it away somewhere, in five years I'll still have 50 seeds. In 100 years I'll still have 50 seeds. In 1,000 years I'll still have 50 seeds. As a matter of fact, in some of the Pharaoh's tombs, they found seeds that were buried with these Pharaohs. And guess what? If they buried 1,000 seeds 100 years later, you know how many seeds there were? 1,000. Because unless you bury it, Jesus said, and it dies. It remains alone. But if you plant it, let me tell you what will happen if you plant that one kernel of seed. It will die to what it is, and it will be born again 
as a stalk of corn, with ears of corn, that'll produce a mighty harvest. Now let me give you the big picture right here. This whole process, revelation, repentance and renewal, and crucifixion, is all about getting us right here. Because the end goal, here it is, the end goal of your life is that people would get a revelation of Christ by looking at you. That people would get a revelation of Christ by looking at you. That when they saw you, they would see Jesus. I just read a beautiful story this week. Happened back, I think, in the early 30s. Gentleman was on a train, and the little porter that was taking care of him had an affected toe. <laughs> the guy asked about him, why are you limping? He told him, he said, oh, I got a little, my little toe's giving me some problems. And the guy said, I'll tell you what, I'm not a doctor, but why don't you sit down and let me look at it? The guy said, no, no, that, that's inappropriate, you know, we, we don't do that. He said, no, really, please. He sat him down, he unbandaged his foot, and it was swollen up and infected. He said, hey, I think I can lance it. I think I can do this. I think I can do that, and I can, I can get your toe better. Guy said, man, all right, man, I'm really in a lot of pain. That'll be all right. He said, while you're sitting there working on his toe, he said, uh, do you know the Lord? Do you have a love relationship with Jesus? And he said, no, sir, I don't. He said, my mom had a great relationship with the Lord. He said, but I don't. He said he just sat there and talked to him about how much Jesus loved him and how Jesus died for him and how God really cared about him while he was bandaging his toe. He said he bandaged his toe and the guy put his shoe back on it. When the porter walked out of the room, the man's son was out in the hallway and the porter came by and he was sobbing in tears. The young boy went to the porter and said, sir, are you okay? And he sat down and he just was uncontrollable tears. And he said, sir, are you okay? Are you okay? He said, is your toe hurting? Are you okay? He said, he said, no. He said, it's your daddy. It's your daddy. And he said, I thought, oh my gosh, what did my daddy do, you know? He said, the porter told him what his dad had done. And he said, when I was sitting there and he was working on my toe and I was looking at your dad, he said, all I could see was the love of Jesus. And he said, before I got up, he said, I asked your daddy to pray with me. And he said, I just got born again, and I'm a new person, and I matter to God. See, that's the goal, guys. And here's the challenge. The challenge is that you'll get a revelation that'll bring you to salvation, and then you'll stop. Because revelation... And salvation is exciting and fun and grateful and thankful and glorious. But crucifixion is where the fruit is. It's only when I begin to recognize that any action in my life that contradicts the revelation of who Jesus Christ is needs to die. Any action in my life, any word out of my mouth, any thought that I think that contradicts the revelation of who Jesus is needs to die. And when it does, every time my flesh dies and I crucify those things, new life springs out. And all of a sudden, my life begins to multiply and reproduce the life of God in other people. 
Why? Because only when you die will you not remain alone. Let's bow our heads today. I want to do two things today, and I do it every week. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're a Christian, and you know you're saved, and you know you're going to heaven. You have no shadow of doubt. I want to just challenge you right now. I want you just to revisit in your mind when you got born again. I mean, when your heart really changed, I want you to track back right now in your mind. And if you're here today, and you can track back to that moment, and you know there was a born-again moment where your heart changed. You went from being who you used to be, a caterpillar, to becoming a brand-new creation. You ain't done it perfect. You ain't hit all the marks. You ain't done everything you're supposed to do right since then. But you know that you know that you know you were born again. I want you to remember that. And now I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you now to look at your life. Anything in your life that doesn't reflect the nature and character of Christ, it needs to go. It needs to be buried. It needs to be crucified. And if you'll crucify it by the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll bring life. It'll produce a harvest. People, other people's lives will be changed. In John chapter 1, the Bible says of Jesus that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, it's only when what God has done in you is manifested physically through you that the world can see the glory of God. So I want to challenge you today as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ to go ahead today and let's begin to crucify those things. Let's begin to bring our bodies into subjection to the revelation of who Jesus is. Second thing I want to do is maybe you're here today and you could not trace in your mind back to a moment when you were born again. And if you can't remember when you were born again, then my guess is you probably have never been born again. But today, Jesus came, suffered, bled, and died, rose again on the third day, paid the penalty for your sin, and is now offering you brand new life in Christ. But you've got to receive it today. By faith, we receive. Faith pleases God. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I can't remember ever being born again, but today I want to be born again. I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to become a new creation in Him and live for Him every day of my life from this moment on. If that's you, I want you just to stand to your feet right now all over this building. A simple act of faith today. I want to be born again. I want to be born again. I want to be born again. If that's you, just stand up. People are starting to stand. This is your moment. Don't wait. Don't wait. As you stand, an usher's going to come. They're going to put a little packet in your hand. We're about to pray together. That packet's there to help you. We want you to fill out that card on the front. There's a little study in the booklet there to help you take that next step. But if you want to be born again today, we're about to pray. This is your moment. If you can't remember ever be born, born again, then you haven't been. And the harsh, real truth is, is if you reject the gift of God, then you automatically embrace the judgment of God on sin, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People go to hell their own free will. They choose to reject God, and therefore they choose hell. Don't be that person today. If you want to accept Him and be born again right now, stand. We're about to pray. I'm going to give you about three seconds, and we're going to pray together. If you're standing right now, we're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to say it out loud with me. Let's repeat it together. Dear Heavenly Father,
I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. I believe and agree that Jesus is, is the only way. And I accept you, Lord Jesus. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.